I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are The, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of The Gibson Review. In each episode, we go through our weekend review, talk about what we've each been watching. Then we have our main event, which either talks about a main subject or has a main review. Then we wrap it all up with our third segment, Film Faves. Our lists of our favorite movies around a particular topic. This time, it's 2002 films. That is correct. In episode 24, our main event will be Black Panther, and we will be returning back to our March in Time to 2002. We've been a, a bit away, I think, for most of the several episodes, so it'll be good to get back on track there. But first couple housekeeping things uh, we have been away for a little bit mostly because we readjusted our schedule so that way um, we can kind of get on track with several of the releases and it was just proving to be a little too difficult with the timing of things to get the main reviews uh, down right but I think we have fixed it and uh, we'll see how it goes from here on out and I've also been ill Again. Yes, we're actually doing a last-minute recording, so to speak, because uh, Shanna has been ill for a, just about a full week, actually, I think. So we'll see how this goes, but hopefully you will be listening to this episode as of the 27th of February, and we'll be back on our every-other-week schedule. So... Getting to our first segment, our week in review. Shanna, in all this time, have you had an opportunity to watch anything yourself? Yes, I have. Because I was sick, I was watching several things. One of the shows that I started watching on HBO Go was Here and Now. And according, I'm just going to go with the IMDb description because that's more succinct. A multiracial <laughs> family made up of husband, wife, three adopted children from Somalia, Viet- Vietnam, and Colombia, and one biological child find their bonds tested when one of the children begins seeing things which the rest cannot. Yeah, that's kind of what drew me to it was the kiddo that, it's not really a kiddo, but... How old is he? I don't know, 22. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> but, but he's someone's kiddo. Um, anyway, I'm becoming so old because everybody else is a kiddo. So that's really what drew me to it. And You're only eight years old or you're 30, what? crying out loud. Yeah, but I have so much life experience, uh-huh. man. Yeah, <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> anyway, there's only two episodes out right now. I think it airs probably every Sunday. And then it's available that night or the next day. I enjoy this show. It's got a few really great talents. It's got Tim Robbins, who's unrecognizable to me. Holly Hunter, a bunch of other people. Raymond Lee, I think he was in something that we liked. I don't recognize the name myself. Oh, oh, that's why she looks familiar. Sosie Bacon, so Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick's daughter. Hmm. So that's pretty cool. That's just a few names, but there's lots of other people in this. And what's really interesting is in the first episode, you really see, uh, you get a little bit of an insight into what it's like being in a family like that. You have a Vietnamese child, a Colombian child, and an African child. 
and they're with these white as white parents and so it's very interesting and in the second episode I am going to share this because I, th I think that people need to see it there's an incident that happens where the two sisters get arrested and you see this fascinating parallel depiction of what the white sisters experience is at the prison uh, at the jail and what the African sisters experience is like and it's so jarringly different so I highly recommend that I'm very curious to see how it's going to unfold I feel like everything of our time is being represented mm -hmm. and so that's why I'm like dying to see the rest of it I wish I could just binge on it that would be fantastic so that's what I watched by myself this week very cool that is again here and now and people can find it on HBO myself you know we've been watching a lot of things together and we'll get to some of that some of it has been stuff that's kind of for the purposes of this episode so really the only thing i have been watching on my own in the time that i've had is i discovered or i should say caught up with because i was aware of this existence before i just didn't have a means of seeing it but Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee has hit Netflix. This is Jerry Seinfeld's... It was a web series, as I understand it, originally. Oh, that's really cool. And it basically is literally, almost literally what the name of the show is as its premise. You know, the first three to five minutes of each episode is featuring a particular car, which Jerry has chosen for the guest, either to represent the guest's personality or maybe it's a favorite of the guests from the past or what have you. Or maybe it's just a joke. Uh, every <laughs> once in a while, maybe. But mostly uh, it's something that he, you know, is very complimentary. And, you know, it's literally just he and someone else BSing, going to get coffee, you know, taking a drive and talking. And it is, you know, one of the coolest things. I had mentioned in past episodes how I have discovered a fondness for documentaries about comedians right well, this is and as real as it gets right well sort of in a way i, I think this kind of falls i, I think is the, the reason why this appeals to me is because you are similarly seeing these people being themselves and you are seeing them get to just talk and have conversation and 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 make each other laugh and it is actually probably the funniest thing i have seen I don't know, since what? Just a long time. I, I laugh out loud almost every single episode. It, for me, it really is dependent on the, the guest in terms of how whether or not I watch every episode. And I get the impression that what Netflix has is not every single episode rather than just like selections from it. Uh, I haven't researched the series to know how many Jerry's done for how many years or anything like that, but... I am on the second set of collections right now, which starts with Barack Obama, and I have enjoyed... Did you watch that without me? I have seen it. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that's perfectly Are easy... Are you testing it out for me? Well, it's easy to digest while doing chores, you know, mm. and it's one of those things. So, um, I have enjoyed thoroughly the first collection. I think one of the highlights is to watch the Alec Baldwin episode... As well as, oh, who was it that he took a ride with that he scared the crap out of? Ricky Gervais. 
the Ricky Gervais episode, I think, is really great, too. So find that now on Netflix. That is the only thing I have been catching up with on my own. Well, I think people should also check out Christoph Waltz. Oh, the Christoph Waltz episode? That was a really hilarious episode for me. <laughs> In some ways, just the culture clash aspects of it, I guess, yeah. But at any rate, we have been seeing quite a bit together, and let's start with Gains of New York, which I revisited for the purposes of our uh, film faves, and you had never seen before, right? No, I had not seen it. I thought that the costuming was lovely. I thought the makeup and design was quite beautiful and unique. But I wasn't really into the story. I thought it was kind of, uh, yeah, and I didn't like Cameron Diaz. I didn't really believe her mm. in her role. I, and maybe that's because she's been cast in different kinds of roles. Well, mostly comedies and action. Oh, and it's always like the cute girl, the sexy girl. Well, not always. Not always. Give her some credit. She's been I'm not more than that. Blasting her. I'm just saying that it was hard for me. Mm-hmm. The final shot, I felt, wasn't as impactful as it could be. I appreciate the concept. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. But it needed something else, whether it was different coloring. It was a bit of a slow transition. No, sorry. I felt like the transition was too weak when it was passing through time and it, it, it needed more color, it needed something. Maybe it should have been shot in pure black and white. I That wouldn't really gel with the rest of the movie though. Something needed to happen, mm. it just it needed something, mm. it wasn't enough. Mm. But I appreciate the concept and the framing of the towers was beautiful. Yeah, I don't want to get specific about what it is exactly you're talking about. I definitely differ from you about the end moments there. Those did actually work for me. First of all, I should backtrack. This is Martin Scorsese's 2002 film starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Daniel Day-Lewis... Oh my gosh, John C. Riley, Liam Neeson, Cameron Diaz, as we mentioned, a lot of different people. Brendan Gleeson. Basically telling about a particular point in New York's history, in a particular area of New York, known as the Five Points, and the gangs who fought to control the Five Points. And, and there's a little bit of, you see the difference of where the Five Points are, and the type of class of people that are there. And then you see Fifth Avenue with the upper class people. And Meanwhile, the Civil War is actually going on uh, in the deep background of this story. So in my original Film Faves 2002 uh, article, I included this movie on the list. I revisited the movie for the purposes of this episode's Film Faves. And... I gotta say, it's definitely mid-level Scorsese for me. It's definitely not top ten Scorsese. It's not bad. It's it's good. It does get a little muddy in the third act because it's trying to make these parallels with the war and the rioting and with the games mm-hmm. and stuff, and it just doesn't quite it doesn't quite work. It really it gets too chaotic in the narrative and. I feel like 
Cameron Diaz, you know, I, at the time I tried to defend her and, and be on her side, but watching her now, this is not her strength. And if you look back at her career, she really hasn't done much dramatic work since. Most of her work has been action, has been comedy. Some of it has been pretty good. Some of it has been fluff like night and day or whatever. So she's definitely the weakest link out of all of these. Daniel Day-Lewis was well regarded for his performance. And I feel like at first, during the first third of the film, I really wasn't sure. I was I was thinking, my gosh, like this is just what it would end up being practice for Daniel Plainview five years later on There Will Be Blood. And to an extent, that's still true. This is definitely a practice role for him, for gearing up for someone like Daniel Plainview. But I feel like in the second half of the movie, his performance actually does get better um, and does get more Daniel Day-Lewis-like in its level of how, how great it is. He's not just chewing scenery. I'm glad that you got to check it out. I yes. thought you might find it interesting. Not one of our favorites. No. We're kind of mixed on that one. Next, I showed you Martin McDonough's 2008 film, I believe, In Bruges which stars Colin Farrell and also stars Brendan Gleeson. Only this time he's one of the lead roles. Which was basically about a couple of guys who were hanging out in Bruges waiting for instructions from their boss. Turns what out... what we're going to say? Well... I guess it's good to be... I think that. you learn in the first 20 minutes. I think you learn in the first 20 minutes that they are, in fact, hitmen. Everything else, it just kind of slowly reveals itself, and it's, it's best to leave it at that for the most part. Shanna, what did you think of In Bruges? You haven't seen Seven Psychopaths, Martin McDonough's other film, but Three Billboards Outside Enemy, Missouri is Martin McDonough's latest film, nominated for Best Picture. Coming into it in that context, what were your thoughts on In Bruges? I love the story, and... The language, and by language I mean all the swearing. Yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> God, I loved it. The cadence of the Europeans when they speak, particularly when they're pissed off about something or agitated, is one of my favorite things to be entertained by. But also, the little human behaviors, perhaps, perhaps I've been watching too much Westworld, but now I'm aware of the little ticks that humans do, whereas before it wasn't totally on my radar. And after watching Three Billboards the second time, after watching, watching In Bruges, I started to recognize that this is kind of the director's style. He's striving to have these very human moments and very human things brought out of their his actors mm. to, to tell the story mm -hmm. and i really appreciate that because because upon second viewing of three billboards after watching in bruges i actually was laughing a lot mm. in the film which mm. you don't do the first time you see three billboards not as much but there are some there are there are humorous moments, moments yeah. but I was practically smiling throughout the whole film, hmm, which is a little, my friends thought it was a little weird, but, <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> but once you've disturbing. gone through that little pattern, you know, you'd know what I'm being entertained by. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, you raise a really interesting point about McDonough's work, which is he takes these character types and he has these behaviors or personalities that kind of go against the grain of what you expect from that character type. In this case within Bruges, it's, it's these hitmen who are meant to enjoy the beautiful architecture <laughs> you know and the and the, the, the tourist locations yeah and the churches right the history exactly the history the, the blood of christ that's around the corner there right. or whatever it was sure sorry it was really funny yeah yeah of um of this location you know and that's not what we've been conditioned to think about when we think about hitmen you know, in, in cinema, right? That's a good point. And, and so it's very human. And as a result, Colin Farrell is incredibly sympathetic in, in this uh, film. He's incredibly human for also reasons that become revealed to us during the course of the story as well. That's a, a major plot development. I think he's fantastic in the film. I think... Brendan Gleeson is wonderful and delightful. You know, he's he's kind of grating against this bristly, grumpy Colin Farrell who just doesn't want to enjoy anything about where he's at. And whereas Brendan actually does want to take in the sights and enjoy, yes. you know, what's It's like, like because he's more seasoned, he's yeah. like, oh, I have a vacation. Yeah, right. I must enjoy it no yeah. matter where I am. And that's the lesson of life, people. That's a really <laughs> good point. Yeah, yeah. But Ray Fiennes, who <laughs> I won't, I won't really go into his role. I will say he is in the movie, and he is hilarious. He has <laughs> one of the fun, had to have been one of the funniest moments, you know, of that year, if not of the that decade, where when he gets off the phone. And if anybody has seen this movie, they know exactly what moment I'm talking about. When he gets off the phone in his study and his wife comes in. Laugh my ass off every every time. So funny. But also <laughs> also the phone conversation, I think, prior to that. Oh, that was good too. Yeah. It sounds like you enjoyed the film quite a bit. Oh and yeah, it, I totally recommend that. Excellent. I, I just it, it just struck me when I was watching three billboards how different that film is but how similar which you know i i should revisit that movie i'd be very interested Mm -hmm. in uh, seeing if i have the same experience as you so that's in bruges from 2008 we highly recommend that next we finally caught up with i tanya which we've been trying since december i believe yes and uh, for a while it was not available then it was a matter of i think scheduling issues so we finally saw it. This is, of course, uh, the latest film by Craig Gillespie, starring Margot Robbie as Tanya Harding. And it looks at the, um, of course, the Tanya Harding incident of 1994 uh, and, and all the circumstances that led up to that and afterwards. And it also stars Sebastian Stan as his, his, her boyfriend, Jeff Galuli among other people. 
Uh, Allison Janney, of course, is also worthy of note since she has been nominated for several awards and won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress for her performance as Tanya's mom. Shanna, you've been looking forward to this film as well. What were your thoughts? First of all, I should, should ask, did you come into the movie with any sort of knowledge about Tanya Harding? And separate from that, what was your take of um, how Tanya is presented in, uh, in this film as, as, a, as a woman? Oh, I have a lot to say about this. I thought I knew nothing. I know nothing about her story. So I went in pretty clean. Mm. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen. It was like a brand new story for me. And it was, what a strong woman. Jesus. I like that the film took on this perspective of what is truth and how truthful is truth hearing it from one person or two people or three people or all sides. Like... How truthful right. is the truth? Because it does, it's not a strict narrative. It does look at the story and the events from different perspectives. It's a very interesting way of presenting the perspectives, mm. how they've cut it and developed it. And it makes you, it's also a very good, it could be a great film study project on fake news mm. under that category of how to question what you're watching. And. I thought that it was a very important film. And at first I didn't know why it, it had two Oscar nominations. Mm. Because I thought, well, well, it looks like a good film, but mm. surely it's not a, a great film. Mm. But then I looked at how they took those truths, the interpretations, and how they portrayed domestic violence. Mm. And in a time where women are starting to say, cut that shit out, mm. and women are standing together supporting other women and men are actually listening and things are actually getting done prior to what has happened in the past i think it's a very important film in that regard and it can also be just from a parenting perspective it really makes you watch what you're saying and how you're treating your children Mm. if you have so much power as a parent if you slap your kid but you tell your kid you love your kid, it doesn't matter what order that happens in, your child's going to believe that smacking, spanking, hitting Mm. is a loving action. Mm. I feel like a lot shaped her into who she was. And I'm not taking away from any of her experiences, but I feel like if she hadn't had abusive experiences at home with her mother, I don't think she would have ever gotten involved in that crazy ass person you know it just makes me think you mean Jeff Galuli. yes it just makes me think it it's a film that makes you think mm. about various things so I really enjoyed it what did yeah. you think well what did I think I think that first of all Margot Robbie is one of my favorite actresses right now not <laughs> only is she absolutely stunning but uh, more importantly She's usually the standout in everything I see her in. Dating back to, I think it was 2013's Wolf of Wall Street, which I'm not as big a fan of as you are, Shannon. I am a uh, huge fan of that movie. Another Martin Scorsese film. But even, you know, something like Suicide Squad, which is something else I didn't like, really. Uh, She was the best part in. Mm. And uh, she doesn't disappoint here. 
in Aitanya, and I think that she's definitely worth some recognition. Her performance is wor- worthy of recognition here. Mm. I think the guy who plays the bodyguard is brings a lot of levity to the story. He's just absolutely <laughs> hilarious, and uh, I think his name's Sean Eckhart, I think is the character name, I'm not sure. But just oh, absolute doofus. <laughs> I think that, yeah, there's definitely something that's scratching at regarding truth versus reality. Especially with that character. It is very interesting, though, because, you know, you respect her grit and her tenacity. But would she have gotten that grit and tenacity had she not had such such an emotionally abusive and rough childhood uh, upbringing from her mom, who is a very coarse and a very rough person to be around. But I think Alison Janney also gives a fine performance. I I think, you know, she is up against Laurie Metcalf and Lady Bird, and I do do think Laurie Metcalf is... Mm. I would like to see Laurie win. Yeah. Alison Janney doesn't necessarily blow me out of the water, but she is a great talent and has proven herself for the past 20 years as a great talent. Um, she's I think she deserves the nomination. You know, uh, finding Connections. She was in 2002's The Hours, by the way. At any rate. Who was she in The Hours again? Uh, Meryl Streep's girl. Oh, yes, that's right. I definitely recommend I, Tanya. I don't. I think it would just, just maybe be an honorable mention and just be outside my top ten of 2017 and yeah that's it's a fine film i i I think it's it's enjoyable it's it's dark it's at times it's uncomfortable at times it's funny at times but it's very interesting at how uh, uh how it looks at this perspective and it really paints a picture of how violence was so much of tanya's life that it makes sense out of the fact that she became a, a, an MMA fighter later on um, in her life too. It's very interesting and definitely worth uh, taking a look at. Our next film and last film for this section is The Secret in Their Eyes. Now why did we end up seeing this movie? It's because, because you a couple of years ago mm-hmm. There was an American remake of The Secret in Their Eyes. With Julia Roberts. Correct. Who I love. And Chiwetel Ejiofor. And you, who I love. Right. And you became <laughs> very intrigued by this. And I had thought, you know, might be a good idea to watch the original best foreign film, 2009 film, uh, before we watch the remake. Which actually is not a good idea. You should always watch the American tripe first <laughs> and then oh. watch the foreign stuff. See, I I completely disagree. <laughs> well, with if that. you love, I feel like if you love Julia Roberts and you want to see her, like seeing the far anything foreign is better than the American version. My feeling is though, it's better to watch the original of anything. Just about every time. Because four out of five times, the remake, especially the Hollywood remake, is going to be inferior. Like, I would never recommend, go watch Scarlett Johansson's Ghost in the Shell before you watch the anime Ghost in the Shell. Go watch Spike Lee's Old Boy before you watch Park Chan-wook's Old Boy. You know, I would never make those recommendations. But if you're a fan of the people acting in that... Then you're going to see it no matter what. Okay. 
you know. But go check the original out so you can see what it what the story was. Well, honesty, you know. And this is no exception. We saw this film, and it was magnificent. Tell, I don't even know how to describe this. Basically, this it, is it a crime bounce, film. Yeah, it's a crime film. It bounces between two points in time. A case that is unsolved. A case that is, is a rape-murder case mm-hmm. that is unsolved, and it involves... It's like the one that got away. Yeah, it involves the, the inspectors mm-hmm. and the husband, right, of the victim. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it... it the and a new judge one of the yeah, something like that it's yeah. very hard it's an Argi- argentinian film and i am not well versed in argentinian law culture <laughs> you know how it's very difficult that, to see the... yeah you know so i don't fully understand all the context of everybody's rules but it does bounce between present time supposedly and and the past past mm-hmm. being in the 70s present time is one of the inspectors is he's a writer at this point and he's found himself coming back to this case to write about. Well, he's writing about it because he's trying to heal from it. He's trying to let go. That's right. Which I can understand, not from a personal perspective, of course, but from, you know, I watch so many crime films and shows. Yeah. And that always hits them so hard. So I can only imagine that that does happen in real life when right. the one gets away that you so badly right. came close and to And he getting. keeps scratching at it as he's mm. writing about it. But what this, did you think about this film? Were you glad you saw it? And did it make you want to see the remake? No, it didn't make me want to see the remake. This is why I'm saying, like... And I loved you there, Roberts. But now I what? don't want to see it because they totally... What? They wrecked the story. And this story, as it is, is perfect. It's so perfect. And it's so... It's... You can tell it's foreign. And when something's foreign to America, it has this different way of being shot. And different storytelling. Well, there's a different storytelling. But beautifully shot, the color choices, the framing. I mean, red is really minimal in this film. And when it is used, it's really used to grab the viewer's attention. It's usually like an above shot Mm. against cement. So Mm. totally gray and neutral. And all of a sudden, a woman in a red hat will go by and you're watching where she's going. And it will almost be a distraction because it'll be like, oh, we're watching her, we're watching her. But, oh, that person just went by and we should definitely be paying attention to that person. And your eye does this jump thing. Mm. So just a little bit of color analytics, which is just it's so well done and it's fun. The rape was difficult to watch. Here's sure, the thing. Yeah. With, with any foreign film, I feel like foreign films don't hold back. And that was, that was particularly difficult it only lasts a few seconds so for any people that well and it it does cut back to it a lot yeah it's 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 a good film for sure i don't know what else came out in 2009 in in the foreign market i don't know if it was the best foreign film that came out that year but it is in a very intriguing and uh, very twisty and complex film it's very interesting at times though the older version, you could just see the makeup on them, the old age makeup. And I didn't think it was makeup. Oh, I'm. It, you could totally tell that's some old age makeup. It, it looked like it was I almost it was like, like flaky or something. I thought, oh, well, that's just what happens. That's what you get when you're in the sun and you don't moisturize. Oh, goodness. <laughs> 
Uh, interestingly enough, from what I, I understand of the remake, it's almost completely a different story that they practically shouldn't even call it The Secret in Their Eyes. Yeah. They used three scenes from the original in this remake. Otherwise, it's a completely different story. And, you know, it didn't get very good reviews. I think it has like a 44% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I was very reluctant. I was like, ah, let's just watch the good one, you know? Well, no, um, I'm not going to watch that so, one. So, I mean, you you might want to anyway, you know, while casually editing or something like that, you know, doing some, having it in the background. But uh, I am not <laughs> interested. A casual rape scene happening in the background. <laughs> there are worse things you, you have seen, Mrs. Law and Order or cold case it's of whatever, law and order. whatever it is that you watch <laughs> anyway so that's the secret in their eyes it sounds like we recommend it yeah uh, go back it's good check it out sometimes they speak really fast though so keep up with the subtitles all right so that's our weekend review it is time for the main event which is our review of black panther i have seen gods fly I've seen men build weapons that I couldn't even imagine. Uh-huh. I've seen aliens drop from the sky. Yeah. But I have never seen anything like this. How much more are you hiding? It is your time. Show me my respective bow down. You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. my entire life for this the world's gonna start over i'm gonna burn it all what happens now determines what happens to the rest of the world the revolution will be live And that was the trailer to Black Panther, directed by Ryan Coogler, who some may know from uh, his directorial debut, Fruitvale Station, as well as directing the incredible Creed, uh, a part of the Rocky franchise. So, of course, Black Panther is a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where... Uh, it is Black Panther's first solo film. He is now come back from the Civil War, from Captain America's It happens a week after his father's death. Yeah, yeah. And so he's rising and taking over the King mantle and as well as Black Panther mantle. But there is a little bit of unrest as someone from his father's past comes back into the country to take the throne from him. So, with us, though, we have a special guest, first time on The Movie Lovers. Joining us is our son, Logan. Hello. So, we've asked Logan on this episode because he's uh, familiar with watching um, pretty much all the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I believe, and uh, also got to see the film with us. So, what we do with every main review 
is we talk about the good first. It's good to focus a lot on what we liked about a movie before talking about what we didn't like about a movie, the bad. And that moves us into general discussion before discussing spoilers and our final thoughts. So, Shanna, I'm going to have you go first. What did you like about Black Panther? Pretty much everything. (laughs) (laughs) I loved the influences of the different African cultures and countries across the African continent. You could see where they were drawing influence from which part, which regions of Africa, through clothing, textiles, texture, bones, jewelry, everything. Mm -hmm. I love the layers. I'll get more into that later. But I also loved everybody's performances. I loved that the women you saw in this film were all strong. Mm-hmm. female role models mm-hmm. uh, there was a dad in the cinema behind us who had three girls and I was like oh man you guys are in for a treat because <laughs> I had seen it already watching it a second time I loved Stan Lee's appearance I loved the performance of Andy Circus. I thought he was mm-hmm. deliciously evil mm-hmm. he reminded me of all the South African high school boys all rolled into one. Mm. And I loved the relationship between the brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite is, of course, Danae Gira. Mm-hmm. Her, everything she did, if she just breathed, I was like, yes! <laughs> it was very exciting. I loved all the little incorporations of tradition. And I also enjoyed hearing words that I could recognize. Uh, and I'll talk, I'll talk about that a little later too so i pretty much loved everything about this film the story was awesome too excellent logan what did you think was good about black panther well i'm basically like shanna i i agree with everything that shanna said it's all really good my favorite actor had to be the sister Yes, Letitia Wright, play, uh, who played Shuri. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, she's kind of like the Q of Wakanda and, and, and Black Panther, and that she's the one that supplies all the technical inven- inventions that he'll need on his missions. Strong such. female character there, engineer, scientist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Continue. Um, what about you, Dad? Well... I will say I, I definitely enjoyed the film immensely. It's very, it, it's interesting. I think Marvel, somewhere around movie number 20 in their entire series oh my here, God, really? somewhere around there, I, I've lost count to be honest, yet still they're able to make a solo film feel different, feel fresh and, and, and interesting. And it's not just because of the cast. There's a, a lot of different elements of the environment and the story in the movie that is, it doesn't feel tired. It doesn't feel like we've been there, done that, and it doesn't feel rote or formulaic. Of course, I, I do love the cast. I, I know that for many people that I, I can't speak to personally, but for many people seeing an all-black cast where there's only two white people this time 
you know, mm-hmm. who, by the way, I think they're being referred to as the Tolkien white guys because <laughs> they've both been in Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> uh, of course, that's Andy Serkis and Martin Freeman. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I know that that is an, a really special and, and, and moving experience for uh, for the black community, which, you know, I, I, I definitely understand, but... You know, that's not my experience. I just know that that is something that does, that is, that is important. I think that the three lead females are fantastic. Lupita Nyong'o, Danai Guerra, and Letitia Wright. Letitia Wright especially, I really <laughs> enjoyed. And I kept thinking the entire time, where do I know this person? Who is this person? And I've looked through her filmography. I still have no idea why I know her, mm. uh, why she looked familiar to me. But she is great, and I really look forward to seeing more of her in anything, honestly. Mm. It's interesting how it also navigates some of the comic book characters who may be difficult to translate onto the screen in... Uh, contemporary cinema without being racist. Like, for example, Umbaku, who in the comics is oh, he was so fantastic. Man-Ape. He's a really great supporting character, and he's translated, and his tribe is translated in a really great, like, non-racist way, you know? Well, stereotypical. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the tribes are actually really great. It was really surprising and refreshing to see Daniel Kaluuya in this film oh, and I, loved seeing him. I didn't know that sterling k brown was in this film mm-hmm. you know but how awesome is it that sterling k brown he probably jumped at the opportunity of being in a marvel film uh he plays an important role in the uh in the plot most importantly though the villain eric killmonger i think he's one of the most interesting unique and he's not just a plot driven villain he's a theme driven he's a thematic villain that's one of the things I think that makes a villain really compelling is when they are more than just to serve a plot and they actually have some bigger messages and themes that they either represent or are rep- wrestling with. And so I'm, I'm happy to dive a little bit more into that a little bit later. But of course, Ryan Coogler, love his previous work and how awesome is it that he roots the story in his roots in Oakland. Yes. <laughs> you know, in the comics, it's New York, mm. the same story in New York, but he transplants it to Oakland, and I think that was some great props that he did there. Yeah. So, uh, a lot to say that is really great about this film, the visual effects, everything. But let's, let's move on to the bad. Uh, okay. Shanna, what didn't you like about Black Panther? I have so many notes, guys. I, like, went crazy this week. <laughs> yeah, when we were watching it, she just had the... She was just curled up and writing notes. There something <laughs> happened. So, I, d- I, I don't have a lot of problems with this film. I thought that they did a lot of... They handled a lot of different things in this film and different themes very well. Okay, so Logan, what did you think was bad about Black Panther? What didn't you like about the movie? I didn't like the villain. Oh, please explain. Well, he just wasn't fun. 
I would like it if he was funner. More fun? Yeah. Who's um who's a villain that you found in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to be more fun what you're looking for? Loki. Okay. He's um and Ultron. Ultron. Okay, so is that because they both have are humorous at times? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. What's another example of another serious villain? Has there been a serious villain that you've enjoyed? Well, from what I've seen of uh, Thanos, Thanos is who I really don't like. You, you well, do I not don't, like him. I don't like him, but I enjoy him. Oh, okay. What about like someone that we have seen in a film? Well, I like Magneto. He's fun, but, well, he's, like, fun in a bad way. He's angering. Because, like, you just see him, and then all of a sudden he's poof, gone. He gets me angry. You see him, then he's gone, he gets you angry. What do you mean by that? Well, he, like, just is there one second, and then he throws something metal, like a metal beam at you, and then he's gone. And you're saying that he's a favorite? Uh, favorite Because of us? Yeah. Because we don't get too much of him, or... Kinda. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Was there anything else that you didn't like about Black Panther? No. No. Uh, no. Not at all. What about you? Mm. Well, I'll be honest, guys. Like, I don't. I don't like Love Fest too much, but I really had a hard time finding things that that bothered me about this movie. I uh, there's only a couple moments that kind of took me out or I was kind of wondering what the hell is going on and it's really like it's like nitpicky things really like most especially the one of the ones that I can remember is in the climax there is a ship that is attacking one of the characters ah yes and I was under the impression that whoever was in that ship was was someone significant, someone that we knew. And I kept waiting for it to cut to show us who the hell is attacking that character. And also, how is it that the ship knew that that character was where that character is in the first place? You know? So you gave the orders. Right, you know, all, all that. And that, that didn't quite cohere. And, and in fact, we basically, like, the, the movie kind of moves away from them and we never come back to what happened there you know the natural course of things that you would think and i'm being very vague about it but it just kind of like abruptly ends that particular sequence in the third act and you're kind of like whatever happened there it's very minor nitpick and then on top of it you know you have these sequences that show wakanda very early on and i just couldn't help thinking okay this is a very isolationist country very secretive. No one knows that it exists. So there's no corporations. You're not going to see any branding on the buildings. Mm-hmm. How the hell does this economy function? Like, uh, is it all small businesses? What do we have going on here? Especially with it being as advanced as it is. I just couldn't help but wonder about that world building, that level of world building, you know? Because it's so foreign to an American, mm. right? Mm. Who, who sees branding and 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 corporate you know signs and such all over it's very clear how the economy works 
it was not clear to me, especially when you have all these different tribes and such, what keeps <laughs> that country going? It know? is entirely possible that they have kind of reached Star Trek level where... <laughs> There's you know, no money? Well, there, there must be money. There someone, is right? no sort of exchange of money. It's all exchange of knowledge. There's like a different commodity being oh. done. But then you'll see like the one scene where they're, you know, kind of in the, the little city shopping center. Yeah. Not a shopping center, but a, a shopping street. And you see baskets on display. Mm. And surely that's yeah. being sold for something. And I don't know right. what. And obviously, you know. It's interesting because you say, oh, you don't see any like typical branding. If you look at the different city buildings, you can see that some of the exteriors are a little different. Mm. Yes, you have the glass panes. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. But you have some buildings that have thatch incorporated yes. within yes. it. So maybe in some way that is a symbol of, oh, well, over here you're going to be able to meet with an architect or right right i or, see what you mean yeah yeah, yeah. I, you know that's probably not at all what it is but something of that sort yeah you know and oh well this tribe well, it deals with our medicinal things and this sure. tribe deals with our textile things and that's all conjecture that yes we the, have no idea not in the text of the meat at all so i just kind of wonder about that but it wasn't anything that really really bothered me or was a problem it was just a nitpicky thing that i got curious about hmm. Okay, so at this point, let's let's open up to any general thoughts or ideas that you might have had from uh, the movie, uh, or about the movie. Shanna, did you have any um, other general thoughts and ideas about the movie that you wanted to discuss? Well, I was curious about a few things. You know, they mention at one point in the film, oh, these women look like Grace Jones, and so I had to go and... Right, right. I had to go and look that up. Uh, you just didn't get the reference. Well, no. I was never exposed to Grace mm-hmm. Jones. And uh, they say, oh, they look like Grace Jones. And I don't I don't know if they do. I think the precision and, yeah, and yeah, the I, confidence and the powerful yeah. posing, maybe. Yes. But that's, uh, yes. when I saw Grace Jones and who she was, and then I saw her in a picture out of the film Conan the Barbarian, I was like, <laughs> yes. no. Nice. No, that that seems a little disempowering to me. Well, However, I don't know the context of the film. Right. So that was interesting. I, uh, you know, this film is just so rich that nothing is simple in this film. Sure. Whether it's the set design or the clothing, mm-hmm. and it's very. There's maybe two scenes I can recall where the clothing is very minimal mm. in design, mm-hmm. and that's when the sister is wearing. What is the sister's name again? Shuri. Shuri. It's when Shuri is wearing white. And it's like, even then it had some detailing on it, but it was Mm. like a break for the eyes. Mm. You know, there's no way you look is lacking texture. And the warrior's outfits, it's not just the fabric. You've got embroidery on the fabric. And then Mm. the fabric is shaped Mm -hmm. like armor. It's Mm -hmm. sewn like armor. And then you have some armor on top of that. And then you have jewelry. And then you have... You know, the, the uh, necklaces and the gold rings, yeah, yeah. I should say. Mm-hmm. And it was just, even the makeup, oh my God, everything was just amazing. And, you know, especially for the ceremonial scene, man, I just, you know, you see these books of Star Wars illustrations for the film. And really what I want I want the research folder for this film that the designers went through. It has been very interesting 
watching this film and thinking about things that I was exposed to as a child in South Africa, whether it was the Xhosa people or it was our visit to the Sutu, you can see hints of everything. You can trace it back to something. And there was a particular post that someone made where she actually did the research to go and find, okay, how was this influenced? Where does this paint you know, come from? Where does the scarification come from? And there were so many ways in which uh, African traditions across the region were respected and treated with mm -hmm. honor. Yeah. And oh my gosh, it was just like a big drink of water. Yeah, I agree. That's actually one of the things that I thought was most impressive about it that I didn't mention before is you got all these different tribes and different, different. It, it was clear that it was taking influences from different aspects of, of Africa and, and tribes. Like you have the guy who's part of the councils, for lack of a better term, who's got the lip piercing. It's like that lip, big I lip, it's a lip, lip Yeah, lip disc. Yeah, you know, which is very African. You know, I don't know what region, I don't know anything about it. Unfortunately, but it's very I don't have the post to specifically tell. That's fine, but it's, it's very, my point is, it's very clearly taking influence of, of all these actual things. Mm -hmm. And that was actually really kind of cool to see them in a mainstream freaking Disney produced mm. Marvel superhero film is mm -hmm. actually really something. Well, and it was great that it didn't look like Conan the Barbarian. Well, yeah, I mean, we're way past that, yeah. Well, and that's what was so great. Yeah. And, and so it was like this, you know, you, you get a little tense when you worry about how something's going to be depicted, and then you see how well they did it, and then you're like, oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. The ritualistic battles, the respect that comes with that. Yeah, yeah. It was the, all, there was a lot of integrity. Yeah, yeah. The forgiveness, the allowing women to speak. I'll get yeah. to that later. The way in which the ancestral plane is depicted mm, is it's just right. so grounded and rooted and respectful and and it's beautiful when he gets there and it's i don't know if there's aurora borealis that happens in the african continent but if, if it does why the fuck didn't anyone tell me yeah. <laughs> i would have loved to have made a mission to get there okay uh logan did you have any general thoughts that you wanted to bring up about the film Aside from what what you thought was good or bad about the movie, anything that you wanted to discuss? Well, I thought in one fighting scene, it was amazing how the Black Panther moved so fast. Mm-hmm, yes. He was literally a black blur. What did you think about the, the action choreography, the hand-to-hand -hand fighting and such? It was really good. Yeah? Do you think it, it held up to... The other films that you've seen with uh, with action or uh, you know fighting choreography. Yes, it actually is better. It's better. Oh, excellent. Very cool. And any other general thoughts you had? No. No. Mm -hmm. I will say that. What is it? I was going to say. Oh, Andy Circus. I'm really glad that his character. Uh, was paid off and paid off well from mm -hmm. as far back as Age of Ultron, I believe, we get yes, introduced that's correct. to Claw. This is a C-level villain, by the way. In the comics, he does exist. He's a lot cheesier looking. Andy Serkis, of course, makes him very cool as a, you know, B-level movie villain. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's yeah, he's Andy freaking Serkis, so he's great, of course, he and he brings a lot to that character. Yeah very smart guy very dangerous guy 
Michael B. Jordan is just it was a really great performance. I don't know, like I did, while I didn't see the shitty Fox Fantastic Four to rate his performance in that, I will say that nothing I have seen him in has sucked in terms of his acting, his performance from Chronicle to Fruitvale Station to you know I, I don't remember what else Creed he's fantastic in Creed and he's he does not disappoint here I was afraid that his villain would be you know a little too comic booky he is in no way really comic booky he does a really great balance in his performance of being villain but but someone who's got a beef that uh, with the world really not just with a particular people that he uh, wants to settle by the way, this movie, I should say, uh, has raked it in. Yes, Unbelievable. please. I think it's $550 million on open weekend. It, it, it was insane. Let me go to the Black Panther page. I know in its second weekend it has been topping everything. I don't I have no idea what its budget was. I'm sure it didn't, wasn't this expensive. But in its first weekend it hit $200 million domestically. Uh, worldwide was five hundred and twenty million. Yeah, which is insane. That's just absurd. It became the fifth highest grossing movie of all time. It broke an absurd number of records. It hit over seven hundred million with the second weekend. That's ridiculous. I mean, come on, that's Star Wars numbers, you know. All right. Was there anything anybody else wanted to say before we head into spoilers really quickly? Or do you even feel like there's a spoiler discussion worth having? Yes, I think there is a spoiler discussion worth having. So I'm just going to quickly share uh, a few general thoughts that I forgot to do. Okay. I really like the modifications to the costuming. You would see the blankets from different tribes. Uh Uh, Even the Kosa people would be wearing blankets. So I really loved the design of those blankets because not only was it a blanket and the coloring scheme suited the movie, but they foiled it. They had the silver foil Uh. attached to it. And now I'm like, oh my God, please sell those now. I also liked how when you come upon Wakanda, it's, it's like savannah plains you've you know got plateaus of the mountainscape and you've got the dry grassy grassiness and i like how from exterior to in you've got kind of authentic what it's really like africa in a untouched sense and it comes to the center as it comes to the center you've got like the cityscape and how that incorporates the different textures uh, whether it be cement decorative cement uh, thatch into the skyscrapers so I just wanted to comment really quickly on how much I enjoyed that and it's also like the tribes on the outer rooms are you know the more sort of traditional ones Mm -hmm. and as you go in it's like okay well we're going to incorporate technology and other things into our tribes and this is where it'll take us this is where it could take us in a very respectful way and I just really like that everything got honored okay well, if there's nothing else, for those who haven't seen the movie, the, the few of you who haven't seen the movie, we obviously recommend the movie. We don't have a lot negative to dissuade you from seeing the film, unless, of course, you're just not a fan of the Marvel films uh, for whatever reason, or, or superhero films in general. Uh, let's move on to spoilers for Black Panther. Okay. So, spoilers for Black Panther from here on out. I didn't have anything really to discuss, uh, or, or I felt was worth discussing. Uh, which of you would like... Logan, did you have anything in the spoiler section you wanted to discuss? Yes. Okay, go um, for it. I like how 
I like some of the jokes. My favorite personal <laughs> joke was I in, I let you into my lab and you come in and kick stuff around. <laughs> yes, that was by Shuri to Chala when he she's showing him some of her tech. Yes. <laughs> and, ha- and having to test it. <laughs> After yes. she gave him permission to kick it. Yeah. Yes. And then and then she says, kick it again. And he's like, anywhere? Wait, no. That was the first time. But yeah. he was... Uh, kick he, it in the same area. Yeah. And then she... And then he um, kicked it, and he went flying, and she was videotaping it. And he was like, delete it, delete it. Well, and I loved right. her laugh. It was such a... You have a great point. That brother-sister relationship is thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Was there anything else, spoiler that you felt was worth discussing? Well, yes, the handgun on, what's his name? The gun. Claw? Yeah. Mm-hmm. His hand turns into a gun. Yeah, it's a prosthetic arm because we saw in Age of Ultron, he lost half of that arm. Mm. And, and uh, so it, that's kind of what helps make him the character that some comic fans know him to be. Because uh, he does actually have some sort of a laser on his hand in the comics. Uh, go ahead. Well, yeah, I'm just like, how are you def- supposed to find a way around that? Because it's basically this gun attached to his arm. What do you arm. mean by around that? Find a way around that? Well, uh, how are you supposed to get a, into a vulner- vulnerable spot? Cause you mean as his enemy? Yeah, if you were his enemy, how would ah. you get into his vulnerable? Vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vulnerable. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, do you have anything to say about that, Shanna? I wasn't paying attention. I was thinking about something else. How rude. <laughs> Speaking of Marvel Universe characters. Yeah. That's all right. That's all right. Was there anything else? Uh, yes. The one, the main bad guy, really ticked me off when he burned the sacred heart flower. Yeah, that was pretty upsetting. Like, legitimately upsetting. I was a little astonished that that actually happened and that they actually went ahead with it in the narrative. Because... What the hell does that mean for the future of Wakanda's rules? Ruler? I think it's going to be fine because honestly, when you burn something, seeds sometimes still exist. Huh. And when you burn something, it comes back stronger. And that's kind of an African thing that I grew up with is huh. once you, you know, it was something that everybody used to speak about. You know, you get upset about a fire that came through and everybody would calm you down by saying, you know what? Whatever gets burnt comes back yeah. stronger the next time. Gotcha. Okay. So I think we're going to be fine, actually. Okay. So don't get upset when they retcon quotation marks the heart fruit. I don't. I think it's a thing that can be fixed. Okay. Shanna, did you have anything really quickly in spoilers? We're starting to go really long here. Okay, so Danae's performance was my favorite. There's a line between her and Lupita where she says, you know, she has to serve her country, essentially, and uh, Lupita says, no, I'm going to save my country. Right. And that is great, how the two of them bring the idea of still honoring tradition, but moving forward in the development, uh, you know, and bringing everyone along with you, 
You know, you don't have to leave people who are suffering on the outside of mm. your paradise. You can bring them with you. Well, um, I saw that more as about questioning the ruler, and it's not the ruler well, that you are loyal to, but the country that you're loyal to, which I found to be quite relevant today. Yes, and it can be interpreted in many different ways. That's what I love about this film. Mm. The Americans are going to you know, interpret it in one way, but then the people of the African continent are going to interpret it in a different way too. Mm. I, I love the warriors, and uh, unfortunately right now I have a problem. I don't know who I like better, the Amazonians or the Wakandians. <laughs> Women's roles, I would like to see what happens if they verse each other. What would happen? It would be oh. very interesting. Uh, women's roles in this film in general are strong power positions, and I just wanted to name the titles of them. You have Queen Mother, you have General, Warrior, Spy, Engineer. Even when the tribal elders come together, it seems that half the room is women and half the room is actually men. And that's very interesting. Right, yeah. That is interesting. Stanley's appearance was really fun. I, I really oh, got cameo. a kick out of it because, you know... I forgot about it, actually. He has Chala having a good time. He doesn't really care what happens to the money. It's, yeah. it's not important to him. And not in a disrespectful way, just it's not important. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he walks away. He's won. <laughs> Martin Freeman is going to take that. But I love how Stanley comes in and he's like, I'm just going to hold on to this. And that's what he's doing. He's holding on to all the royalties, which he rightly should. I really enjoyed that part, too, because it was just so funny. Yeah. Yeah, most of his cameos are pretty funny. His appearance in Hulk was also pretty fun. Yeah, definitely. Shannon, was there anything else? Yes. Um, I love M- M'Baku. Is that how I say yeah, it? M'Baku, yeah, M'Baku, yeah. His straw skirts and his, in general, presentation reminded me of Shaka Zulu, the uh, Zulu Ken warrior. Mm. And I just thought that that had to be mentioned. But I also love who he is. I love how he, you know, he's very, he's not bitter, but he's true to the history of what, how the other tribes have treated his tribe. And it's very interesting because you've got all these different tribal leaders and they've all kind of inherited all the problems of the past. Uh And they have to be the ones to deal with them and they have to deal with it right now. It's like this turning point. You have to deal with it. Otherwise, we're not going to make it. And it's interesting how he deals with it and how he comes in at the last minute. And that was very victorious. It was hilarious watching him pick up, is it Daniel Kalua? Yeah. And... He's kind of, if you see a still of it, he's like kicking his legs and it's awesome. <laughs> it's really great. Uh, but you don't see that it happens too quickly in the film. And I also appreciated how they, you know, even though the rhinoceros, the rhinos, the, the rhinos, rhinos, I loved how the rhinos were treated with respect. Yeah. Although they were armored and modified to help in battle, yeah. when Chala had to put them aside, he did so very respectfully and kind of just pinned them down so that they weren't. Um, yeah, yeah, going to yeah. be killed, which is very of the, in general, African tradition, mm. uh, as long as you haven't been spoiled by poachers, is you are very respectful of the animals. And I, I was really worried at first, but then I was like, okay, it's good. And I think, you know, Logan got to share his favorite part of the film, but my favorite part was when Dane stood in front of the rhino. Yeah. And the rhino was like, hey, it's it my mom. It stopped, yeah. <laughs> and it, like, gave her a lick that was great. Yeah, yeah. No, and that entire action, that entire fight and battle and everything was uh, really well done and really exciting. A lot of really excellent elements to it. I also wanted to say, last thing, I appreciated when the mother and sister had to go to M'Baku 
and there was the scene where they were with Martin Freeman as well. Yeah. And Lupita. Yeah. And Baco has this moment where he, he's kind of upset and they stop talking. And Martin Freeman thinks he should step in right. and talk for them. Right. And Mbaku, shut down. Yeah. yeah shuts yeah. him down. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that's exactly what needs to happen. Yeah. This isn't Martin Freeman's right. fight. And yeah. Martin Freeman doesn't need to speak for these women. Yeah. But then Mbaku lets them speak. Yes. And that's really important. Yes. Yes. And between all my African friends, you know, I have someone from Kenya. I have someone from my hometown. We've all been sharing different posts about Black Panther. And one thing that both of them commented on was an article about one thing that Black Panther does is they show to African men and African women, listen, trust African women. And that's a very complicated concept that has a lot of things to you know, tease out. Uh-huh. But I appreciated that things like that are getting discussed and brought up. Okay. So I could do some research there. <laughs> Homework. Okay, very cool. Well, we really need to wrap up because we're about 20 minutes behind. I want to thank Logan for joining us with the segment of the main event of the Movie Lovers. Mm. We appreciate your input and uh, participation in the discussion. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. And with that, let's move on to Film Faves. Film Faves is our final segment of every episode wherein we count down our respective lists of our favorite movies around a particular topic. Normally, it's a year-by-year countdown. We haven't done that in several episodes, I believe, but we're getting back to it with 2002. In this episode, we also, uh, not only do we do this to share a little bit of what, what our tastes are, but also hopefully expose you to things you may not be familiar with or have been exposed to. And as such, we try to point you in the direction of where you can find these movies on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and HBO Now or HBO Go. Yeah? A surprising amount of movies are not available on those very popular platforms, so it's a little disappointing, but when we do come across them, we let you know. Don't we, Shanna? I, guys, I have a hard time, like, going online and finding where to stream these films, and Jeff does it anyway, and then he types it in, so... Uh, just type in, can I stream, blah, blah, blah. Oh my god, you're so lazy. (laughs) We are providing a service here, young lady. Good god. You know what, maybe I will build the stamina towards it with time. Okay. We're on episode 24. Just saying, Ah, so you know. But you see, 25 is my lucky number. Moving on. My number 12 is Harry Potter 2. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. With the number 2. Is not Harry Potter (laughs) 2. Good God. <laughs> Welcome to the movie lovers. I, You know what? This film's fun. Harry Potter is a great franchise. And you know what? That's all I really have to say about it. Do you know where you can find it to stream right now? On HBO. It is. Yes. yes. Very good. Because they just Thank got you. the whole collection. So if you guys want to go and stream and marathon that, now's the time to go. Yes. Definitely. I think it works out to like a two-day marathon if you want to get stuff done in between. (laughs) Okay. Well, my number 12 is 
Real women have curves. Oh, that features later in my list. Which is also on HBO. It is a new discovery for me. A film that I have known about for some time, but I just kept putting off. And, you know, it's what is interesting about the movie is, yes, it's it's a you know, little bit of its time, but it's, um, it's a Mexican uh, film, if I remember correctly. Yes. It's what introduced the world to America Ferreira. But you basically have this teenager who's struggling with body image, who's struggling with a mom who is a very negative influence on her, who wants her to just go to work in her sister's textile, or not textile, but like a, it's a, a dress shop where they're knitting, not knitting, oh <laughs> they're, my sewing, <laughs> they're sewing They're sewing dresses. They're working with silk, dude. Yeah, they're sewing <laughs> very fabulous dresses that people pay high uh, value for. And they get paid shit for, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and um, it's this it's tension. She wants to go and do things with her life, right? She wants to have her life and her mother wants her to have right. the life that she life. intends right. for her. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, but what's interesting is how extremely feminist this film is and how outspoken America Ferreira's character is. Mm. I was just very taken <laughs> by that character and uh, it's also, you know, an enjoyable and funny film at times, too. So that's The Real Woman Have Curves, available on HBO. Alrighty, uh, my number 11 is Minority Report. And this is a neo-noir science fiction film. It's by, directed by Steven Spielberg, and of course it's starring Tom Cruise. And I actually enjoy watching him in this role. Sometimes it's hit or miss with me and Tom Cruise. Really? We have a love-hate relationship, you see. What's a, a movie you hate him in? Vanilla Scar. Well, that's but just But maybe a everybody hates movie? him in that one. I mean... <laughs> I, I didn't like Risky Business. I could understand that. Yeah. I'm kind of vanilla about okay. Risky Business myself. And this is going to horrify my husband, but sometimes it's hard for me to watch him in Jerry Maguire. Oh, come on. It's just, it's something about it All right. makes it hard for me personally. Well, what do you think about this film? Well, this is, yes, you know, being a, a, a crime film fan, uh, this is a very interesting film. It's, for those of you who don't know, they have developed this new kind of technology. Pre-crime. Yeah, pre-crime. So they're preventing crime from happening, but it has some faults because they're using humans to... Mm. kind of help figure out the crime Pre-code, before yeah. it happens mm-hmm. uh, very interesting fun world building uh, there's some visual effects in there that have not aged well but otherwise it's really worth watching yeah that's kind of true which is interesting very cool my number 11 is about a boy starring Hugh Grant that's the actual name of the movie about a boy it's not just about a boy I thought um, you were going to say it's a, about a boy starring Hugh Grant. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's also available on HBO. And we revisited this film. I think maybe you'd seen this it for the, the first, first time. time. yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it, it stars Nicholas Holt, who eventually became Beast in the X-Men franchise. And he's done some other things, too. Very interesting actor. I do enjoy I th- watching him. Yeah, I thought, you know, I, I actually really do enjoy Hugh Grant in some of his films. Uh, Nine Hill, Love Actually, <laughs> About a Boy. He's great here as this womanizer who realizes being 
you know, an island unto himself is actually not as great as he thinks it is. It's a very funny film, a very sweet film. Of course, it's by Nick Hornby, uh, who, you know, wrote the, the, the screenplay and wrote the book that it's based on. Nick Hornby, I'm a fan of, from High Fidelity, another book oh, of yeah. his, uh, which is great. Some people also may know Fever Pitch, which was a Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore uh, romantic comedy, Ew. which wasn't wasn't bad. Also based on Nick Hornby's work. Really enjoy About a Boy. Check it out on HBO Now. So it turns out that my number 10 is About a Boy. Oh, really? So that's really funny. No I just, kidding. I just I'm saw surprised because <laughs> you just said you are not a fan of Hugh Grant. I'm not a fan of Hugh Grant. Mm-hmm. And it's not a love-hate relationship. It's a hate relationship. <laughs> <laughs> It's not like Tom Cruise where, you know, it can be a hit or miss. So uh, I really enjoyed this film because it really looks at the realism of, like, real adult relationships. Mm. Sometimes relationships work and sometimes they don't. And when they don't work out, they could turn into this awful mess and just be really fucking awkward Mm. and can have just devastating results. Mm. You know, when a relationship doesn't work out, work out uh, whether you have a kid or not, it if it's just too devastating for one of the one of the people in the relationship, it just ripples with these different consequences. Mm. But it also looks at how you can heal from that devastation, and that's important. And you know, I think you mentioned something very good about. How Hugh Grant's character is like, oh, I don't need anybody. I'm just this cold mm-hmm. little Brit. And, uh, you know, when he starts experiencing life and opens himself up to... Other people. Other people and having relationships, he, he actually gains life experience. And then he actually is tolerable to be around. Sure, yeah. So, that's, that's I enjoyed that. Very cool. My number 10 is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yes. Why is it not higher? <laughs> this is an atrocity. Well, you'll have to uh, check out the original 2002 Film Faves article to see if it was ranked higher or not. But I think it's very easy to forget how different and interesting a romantic comedy this film is because it's, it is about not only accepting somebody for who they are, not how pretty they become, <laughs> but also their family as well. And the culture clash with the groom and the family. You get the and, whole package, guys. Yeah. You don't and get the, to pick and choose. The family is just a colorful cast of characters that is unforgettable. We quote the film from time to time, particularly the father by Paul, I think his name is Paul Constantine, if I remember correctly. He's great character. Michael Constantine. Anyway, he's a great character actor. Great he's hilarious. Dad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's it's just really a great supporting cast in this. Nia Vardalos really did not end up doing anything after this that was all that good. She did try to recapture the magic of this film twice. Twice, mind you. Both were failures. We talked, I think, about the sequel in one of the early episodes of The Movie Lovers. It just was not as successful. But this was a delightful romantic comedy. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I so want to watch that now. Yeah, I wish you could. It's one of those films that makes you feel happy. So Mm. if you're in, like, a sad spot right now and you just need to switch on something, that'll make you feel glowy. Like, this is a good one. 
Oh, definitely, yeah. And I wish it was available to stream on it, one it of our services. It does come up for but... streaming time to time, so just I keep think an eye out. It recently left one of those platforms, mm. but anyway, that's uh, that's my pick. How about you? My number nine is Secretary. Oh, I'm so glad this is on your list. You I was are? wondering, yes. Is it on your list too somewhere? N- uh, well, you'll have to see. Oh my but... gosh, you're so mysterious all the freaking time. Oh yeah, always. Okay, so this is a romantic comedy drama. It's directed by Stephen Schoenberg, and it's starring Maggie Gyllenhaal, whom I enjoy in this film. Yeah, I'm a big Maggie Gyllenhaal fan. Uh, if you, you look in the, the Gibson review, she, I think, was just barely edged out by Kate Winslet as the... Best actress of the last decade. Okay. Uh, by me, so. But, or... I have someone I'm even a bigger fan of, and that's James Spader. I mean, oh, to yes, the point where I've had James Spader visit me in my dreams. <laughs> you know, we won't talk about that right now. But uh, this is available to stream on Hulu, so that's important uh, because it's really an interesting thing to look at. You know, we talk about uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, and everybody talks about that 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 <laughs> that thing. It's just. There's so many problems with it, but if you go ahead and watch Secretary, you might find some relief, and you might find a nice comparison to give you scale of where Fifty Shades of Grey could have gone, but where mm-hmm. it just dropped the ball completely. Yeah. The, the acting in Secretary is awesome. It's just phenomenal. The commitment. Yeah. The, the emotions that come out, the little things, the little humanism things that you know I talked about previously in the episode. So go ahead and check that out. And the writing's just ten times better. I mean, this movie. The story is better. I mean, I don't understand. Like, if people are going ape shit over Fifty Shades of Grey for what that is, then they should have really gone crazy over Secretary back in two thousand two. It's I know almost I was... like it needs a re-release. Yeah, right. That'd be cool. Well, yeah, like a fifteen. Well, we passed our fifteenth anniversary, but anyway. You know, it's an indie film, smaller budget, probably weren't wasn't seen nearly as much, but it's such a better film. And I remember when I first saw it, it weirded me out, man. Like, I was yeah. very uncomfortable. Like, I'm just not into that scene at all. But seeing it, we watched it last year sometime. Yes. And but even if that's not your thing. Well, the thing is, it acts as kind of, if I remember correctly, it acts as kind of a metaphor for the, the relationship and you get really sucked into the actual relationship because the performances are so good, Mm -hmm. you know? And it actually does get actually, like, for one one thing, like some real BDSM stuff, and it's not like this, you know, softcore, whatever that, you know, the shit that Fifty Shades of Grey does, you know? Good Latin, but otherwise, no. Yeah, BDSM in air quotes, you know? Um... But uh, so I feel like it's a much better representation of all that um, stuff and, and very sympathetic characters. So that's, I'm really glad that's on your list. That's good. That's an excellent pick for sure. And more people need to see that film. My next film is actually Spider-Man, which is not a film that's all that obscure, but it was always a favorite of mine back in 2002. Uh, remember this movie actually got if I remember correctly I think it got delayed because of 9-11 oh, really? um, at, the, at the very least it had its trailer edited because of 9-11 mm. because he actually swung between the two towers in the oh, trailer no way. something like that so that had to be re-edited I will say this movie has not aged greatly and the Green Goblin 
while a character that's kind of hard to translate in the first place is textbook comic book villain. Yes. <laughs> nothing against Willem Dafoe, but that's probably one of the biggest failings of the movie is how cartoony the villain is. You know what? I like seeing Willem Dafoe as a cartoon. <laughs> you know he's great, but I mean you got this big fucking metal helmet that he has on. You know it's like this mask helmet, and he just says sometimes some of the goofiest things. But it is really fun, and it was a really great first step for a character who had never really been in a major film before, and is now one of the most popular characters and well had always been one of marvel's most popular characters there's a lot to still enjoy about spider-man i'm really glad that in 20 2004 which we talked about in a few episodes back spider-man 2 took it to a whole nother level and still holds up comparatively mm, I, I do like how it holds up yes spider-man's still a, a pretty darn good superhero film and if you like this uh, if you we're not a fan of Amazing Spider-Man. That was your first exposure to Spider-Man. Go check out how it was originally done for sure. My number eight is Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Mm. I have spoken about this before, but just a reminder, it stars Sandra Bullock, Ellen Burstein, James Garner, Maggie Smith, Fiona Fee. Oh, I don't know how to say this. Fiona Flanagan? Oh, yeah, uh, Fianola, Fianola, who I think was in The Others, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, and also Shirley Knight. So it's quite a lovely ensemble, and then you've even got Ashley Judd in there. Uh, she had quite an interesting role in the film. Um, a young mother who's looking after, I believe it's three or four children, all by herself. And if wow. you ever wondered what that was like, go ahead and check that out. <laughs> uh, there's better ways that you can parent, uh, better tools available. But go ahead and see what kind of mental state it puts you in mm. because i think that you know we all need to know what what the other mother is feeling like so uh yeah great it's about sisterhood it's about really good story about finding out why your mother is the way she is especially when it's affecting your life so deeply but you know uh, it, it's definitely one of those films where like so i watched this i think you know probably when it came out well i believe i watched it when i was 16 mm. and that was cool because I watched it with my friends and we were like, oh, look at the cool scrapbook they made. And I didn't, everything else kind of went over my head. And then I watched it maybe a year ago and I thought, wow, this is so healing because this is the time of my life where I'm like, oh my God, why am I doing X, Y, Z? My mother does that. And why did my mother do it like that? And then I asked my mother, why do you do such and such behavior or such and such parenting technique? And it'll be explained to me and I'm like, Oh, I got it. Like, there's a lot of forgiveness that I think that needs to happen between daughters and mothers. Mm -hmm. And that that gets handled very well in this film. Right on. My next movie is Minority Report uh, by Steven Spielberg, which we had recently checked out. I think, was that your first time seeing the film? It was my first time seeing it from start to finish without interruption. That's right, that's right. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a fine film. I, I it wasn't as great as I remembered it being, but there is some really great sequences, like the chase sequence that that goes through the apartment building and through its alleys and all that sort of stuff. It's just really great textbook Spielberg sci-fi action stuff. 
of course it has a, a mystery at the center of it. Samantha Morton, who I was not terribly familiar with previously to this, uh, is great as one of the precogs, uh, one of the key precogs that, that actually gets kidnapped by Tom Cruise to help him on his path. But there's all these other sequences. You have, you have a, a, an, an interesting element. You have a main character who's a, a cop with a drug habit, you know, who at one point has his eyes removed. Oh, you know, I keep forgetting that that happens. <laughs> this is not typical Spielberg stuff, you know? And that's... <laughs> Removing one's that's, eyes. Yeah, this is pretty edgy stuff for the hero of a Spielberg film. And that's kind of cool. And also for Tom Cruise character. Maybe um, that's why I like him in this one. Yeah. He's a little different. Yeah, he's almost as bad as Will Smith in the whole have to be a likable, have to be a hero kind of thing. But this is him actually kind of like, he actually has been a jerk or yeah. has been f- tremendously flawed in films, uh, the characters that he plays. And this is one of those examples, and so I kind of commend it for that. But yeah. it is a fun film. Uh, it is very super, super grainy, and I feel like it's grainy to help hide some of the... It's to blend blend um, everything together. Yeah, some of the flaws of the, the visual effects. It's It's kind of... You know, it's not their fault because mm. that's just kind of how that's where technology was at that point. Where if you wanted to create a new world, you had to add grain mm. to it's sort of like that's how you coated it together mm. in an artistic kind of term. Gotcha, gotcha. But well, now things are so much more precise. Yeah, still, yeah. still an enjoyable film despite that. Yeah. And it's my number eight, I believe. Shanna, what's your number seven? My number seven is The Hours. Uh, great film with fantastic female actresses. You've got, of course, Meryl Streep. We're going to say her first. (laughs) (laughs) Julianne Moore, Nicole Kidman, who I thoroughly enjoyed watching. You've even got, who did we mention earlier from Itadia? Oh, Alison Jenny. Yeah, Alison Jenny. You've even got Claire Danes. Mm -hmm. And then is it, who is the man? Ed Harris. Yes, that's who I was thinking of. Fantastic when you know my mind so well. <laughs> uh, this is a story about... Uh, and Chelsea am... Riley, too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, yes. So I'm going to give IMDb's description. A story of how the novel Mrs. Dalloway affects three generations of women, all of whom, in one way or another, have to deal with suicide in their lives. Oh. I would never have been able to give you that synopsis because, to me, it's such a complicated film. Yeah. I can't describe it. There are beautiful moments. The soundtrack is amazing because I am a Philip Gloss fan. Yeah, it's a um, great score. Just so hauntingly melancholy and sad. Yeah, yes. It's so sad. And then you have to like watch a chaser, like an episode of the Blackish TV show. <laughs> well, in our case. Or maybe Lilo and Stitch or something. Yeah, something yeah, right? like cute and cuddly. But great performances and uh, very. It's, it's, just, it's a very interesting exploration of how sadness can affect people in different ways and when you feel sadness in and have life experience with that as i grow older i understand more and more why these people are sad mm. whereas you know when i tried to watch it when i was much younger i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> you know pretty but what the fuck and now i i get it i we watched most of that with you, and it's I hadn't seen it in 15 years, and it struck me how that is definitely 
one of the best films of that year and has one of the best scores of the decade. However, Shanna, where can people find that movie? I don't know because you haven't got it pulled up for me. I think it's on HBO Go. That's right. That's where most we watched it. Most of my it. life, most of my life happens on HBO Go. Yeah, that's where we watched it. Yeah, that's right. So my next movie is okay. So here's the thing about 2002. It was the first year, I believe, that really kicked off a great trend of documentaries. There are a lot of great documentaries. One thing that I overlooked in 2003 is Spellbound and Wing Migration both came out in 2003, two great documentaries. 2002 was not without its fair share of great documentaries, and I'll speak about a few of them. One of them Ooh, is... Oh, I think we have a similarity. Yeah, one of them is my number seven. It is Searching for Deborah Wiener. Now, here's the thing. This film is in, incredibly difficult to find at this point. I don't know if it got a really shitty distribution deal or what, but you cannot find this anywhere to stream. It, 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 I think it might have be even out of print because... Uh, Netflix DVD doesn't even have a copy. However, this film is way more relevant now than it was back then because here's what it is. It's, if I remember correctly, it's Roseanne Arquette. Roseanne Arquette. She is basically going on this, she's going on this interview journey asking or talking to all these different famous actresses of the time. We're talking Meg Ryan, we're talking, who else? Daryl Hannah is in it. You've um, got Emmanuel Bird. You've got Katrine right. Cartledge. You've got Laura Dern. Right. Roger Ebert makes a little bit of an appearance. That's right, yeah. You've yeah. got Jane Fonda, Terry Garr, Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. Uh, I love what she had to say, by the way. Melanie yeah. Griffith, uh, Griffith. Selma Hayek. Yeah, who, right. Given what we know now, what we didn't know back then, what happened to her, mm with uh, Harvey Weinstein mm. and now yeah. it's it's very interesting watching that now well you know Gwyneth Paltrow also there, I, I imagine a lot of these women have the similar stories and what yeah. I'm trying to say is this movie is Roseanne Arquette exploring this glass ceiling essentially that women experience due to age due to sexism whatever and trying to balance career and normal life right and it's it's really really interesting not the greatest in production values you know her her text for example is very like you know her text for like introducing people yeah. you know is very like they did what they low can. quality it's they very did what low they quality, could you know but the content of the documentary is what's really interesting and i think anybody who is following the me too or time's up movement would find this documentary incredibly fascinating or very interesting at least if they can find a copy we had to get one from our local library so i hope you can find it despite its challenges of getting of, of availability that is searching for deborah weiner it's my number seven it's my number six. Oh well then what do you have to add so i just found out that like through amazon you could get it for maybe eight dollars Oh, okay, uh, cool. Probably used copies, I'm assuming. Uh, what I'm reading right now is that there's only three left, so maybe there's only going to be two left because we're going to buy one uh, <laughs> while, while we still can yeah. because I really appreciate this film. Okay, why do you appreciate it? I appreciate it? it because, you know, this is the kind of shit that I'd like to do. I'd like to go out and speak to 
the way in which it's done. Yeah. She goes out, she finds appropriate people to speak to, and everybody shares their, in a very authentic way, they share what they go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just from a historical point of view now, like you said, with the movements that are happening right now, with Me Too and Time's Up, this is important. Yeah. It's It could be an interesting double feature going with searching for Deborah Winger and then watching Seeing All Red, which I did do this week on Netflix. But, oh. you know, I'll talk about it another time. I'd like to see a sequel. I'd like to see what they would say now, you mm. know. I really enjoyed this film. You know, you've mentioned most of the reasons why I like this film. <laughs> so let's move on. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So my number six is... Spielberg's other film, Catch Me If You Can. And I will say, from from seven on, <laughs> on my list, it was really hard to organize. But Catch Me If You Can landed on number six. Also came out by uh, Spielberg that same year, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Christopher Walken and Tom Hanks. DiCaprio plays a real dude who was a con man who just like changed identities constantly and Tom Hanks is the FBI agent on his heels. Uh, great opening title sequence. Oh, it's beautiful, yeah. Great score, I think, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, by John Williams. A very different score for John Williams, by the way. And You think so? Yeah, yeah. You know, you got this kind of um, low-key, almost it's spy-like like low-key bassoon or, or clarinet <laughs> playing. You yeah. Know? It's very playful at the same time, too. It's not big, bombastic. It's not an earworm kind of thing. Anyway. I've got it stuck in my head right now. It's the best um, Spielberg movie that year. It's the best DiCaprio performance that year. And I just really enjoyed... It's it's Spielberg again playing with the whole, like, daddy issue thing. Yes, we have spoken about Steven Spielberg's documentary. Go right. ahead and check that out, and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Which is available on HBO. Because that's uh, where all the good things are. Apparently. <laughs> also, being eagle eye, you will catch um, a handful of actresses very early in their career in this yes. film. But it's a fun, um, breezy, enjoyable film with, with just a touch of depth, enough depth and, I think, heart to it that you'll, you'll enjoy quite a bit. So that's my number five. What's the heck? We're in lockstep. It's really funny. It's really really crazy. (laughs) So I'm sure it's going to change in the next... Sure. Yeah. A few, yeah. Mm -hmm. But yes, that's my number five. Catch me if you can. And I I loved it for Leonardo DiCaprio. I I really enjoyed watching him in this one. Although I think about Leonardo DiCaprio, and I, I guess I enjoy him in most of his roles. I think I didn't enjoy him in The Beach movie i've heard that's a pretty shitty movie i think that's why though yeah and i bet if i watched it again with the maturity i have now i'd be like oh well you know you did the best you could with that material (laughs) (laughs) i i also enjoy the music i also enjoy the performances i i also enjoy how determined he is Mm -hmm. he's determined to get his family back together yeah yeah so it's an interesting it's an interesting look into if you don't address what you can't let go of yeah you don't try to heal it it's going to make you do stupid shit, you know. <laughs> oh, and also what's really great about it, I almost, I just remembered, it makes this really interesting point about how, like, a jar of ketchup is just a jar of ketchup until you slap a label on it. Then all of a sudden it's um, something completely different. It's Heinz ketchup, you know? And that's kind of like huh. how, you know, a person is a person until you until they're wearing something, you know, 
and then all of a sudden they have a different label and there's yeah. something that's especially back then you know you gotta remember commercial airlines was fairly new so pilots pilots play they a were big like role in this. heroes right you know you you put a cap uh, a captain's uniform on all of a sudden you know he, you're somebody you know yeah. you're something different well it was interesting how he he stumbled across that and he was like oh yeah what do you do oh yes i'd like to be you yeah right and it's kind of fun yeah. in in a law of attraction way <laughs> it's like Ah, uh, yes, I'm shopping the universe to find out what I'd like to be. Well, he's also super smart to be able to get mm -hmm. away with some of that, how he does, too. But well, God, commitment and dogged determination. It's almost like an I, Tonya. <laughs> so, a <laughs> little different, but very cool. Yeah, so that's Catch Me If You Can. My number five movie is Comedian. Oh, which my gosh, you're kidding. No, I'm kidding. I would I would have been very surprised if this was on your list. I don't even think you watched it, if I remember correctly. No, no, I haven't. <laughs> okay. I really was just kidding. This is available on Netflix. This is Jerry Seinfeld's look at the life of a comedian, being a comedian, and the work ethic and everything that's involved. And even for someone like him, who at that time had just left one of the most successful sitcoms ever in the history of TV. I, gotta, I just found this movie fascinating. You know, and he's paralleled with a guy named Orny Adams. And Orny's trying to achieve a certain level of success. You know, he becomes arrogant along the way. And yet, you know, and Jerry, there's a lot to learn from Jerry as a comedian, I, from what I understand, from what I'm observing in this film. However, that said, one of the things that struck me is... You know, there's a scene very early on where you see Orny Adams going through his notebooks. He has files and files of notebooks. And all it is is jokes. You know, this is what a comedian does. They write down ideas, little nuggets of things that could be something at some point, could be good material. Then they test that material on an audience. And sometimes it totally bombs, you know, and you have to have a thick skin to be able to do this. And it's really fascinating. One of the things on the Jerry and so uh, of the spectrum is it's pointed out also it doesn't matter how successful you are you know you get when you go on that stage the first five minutes of an act is your grace period all right you get five minutes where people are like okay you know you're you you're cool we like you after that first five minutes it's like you better be funny like legit funny if you're gonna stay on the stage and I thought that was a really fascinating and interesting point um, that the movie makes. It's, it's, I think it's an unrated uh, documentary and definitely worth checking out, especially now that it is on Netflix. Shanna, what is your number four? My number four is Lilo and Stitch. Talking about chasers that you might need <laughs> after the hours. Very good catch, love. I really enjoyed this film. I thought it came at a time where I was really craving traditional animation. I, I wasn't so much into the three-dimensional things that Pixar was doing, although I loved the stories and they grew upon, they grew on me. I was really upset that I wasn't seeing traditional animation. And so this was really exciting for me at the time. And what a great story about trying to figure out what your family is and what it could be and how important it is. It's available to stream on Hulu. I'm just going to pop that in there quickly. I also love the soundtrack because it's a lot of Elvis mm. and she's just got such a, Lilo's got such a passion for Elvis and mm. she just worships him so much. She's like, 
Uh, and, you know, when the alien, Stitch, comes and, you know, is part of their home, it's fascinating how she talks about Elvis, how, well, okay, Stitch, no one really likes you, and we've got to work on that. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do everything that Elvis did. <laughs> it's just adorable. And it's also a good story about, you know, the older sister is trying to gain, uh, keep, I guess, custody of her younger sister. And her younger sister is having her own problems and she is like sabotaging it, this opportunity. And it's really fascinating. It also has a great scene where the, the two of them have this huge fight and that's totally like sister normal, mm-hmm. normalness, any sibling rivalry really. Yeah, you know, I think that was one of the few bright spots in a really bad period for Disney. Especially, like, I think they had... They went downhill with Pocahontas and Hercules, in my estimation. Then they kind of started climbing up with Mulan and Tarzan. They had this really frivolous throwaway movie, Emperor's New Groove, which is fun, but, you know, it's not Disney classic, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And then you had Treasure Planet, and it was just like... I don't want to acknowledge that. Really, like, after Tarzan, it really started going downhill for about 10 years for Disney, and Lilo and Stitch was one of the few bright spots in that morass of Mm. just sludge. Yes, that surprised me. It's an enjoyable film for sure, and I know it's one of your favorites. For me, my next film is The Ring, directed by Gory Verbinski, starring Naomi Watts, Apparently, even though there's no clown in this movie, uh, Shannon had to leave the room upon mention of this film. This is the film, I think, as far as I know, it started the whole J-horror Hollywood remake trend. It it started this whole PG-13 horror trend. This is the best one there is. This is how you did it, and it never got better. Honestly, Naomi Watts is great in the film. The tension is just really... The story is really well translated to the Pacific Northwest from the from Japan. It's incredibly effective. I just absolutely love this film. And I'm not even a huge horror hound or what have you, but this is a, a fantastic film. That's The Ring, directed by Gory Verbinski. That's my number four. My number three is Real Women Have Curves. Oh, really? Wow, you liked it that much. Oh, yeah. Basically, I loved everything that you just said earlier. Um, But my favorite part is that it's a story about a daughter breaking away from what her sister had to follow, her Mm -hmm. older sister had to follow. Yeah. And breaking away from her mother, which Mm -hmm. is difficult. It's a good double feature with Lady Bird. Interesting. Uh, Has probably a better ending. Uh, I mean, Lady Bird does. Yes, than I this think film. so. Yes. But almost, it's like almost the same. It's just, yeah. real women have curves just needed a little bit more. Yeah. And it probably would have been this, a very similar film. Yeah. I also, I, I just want to mention that you can tell that you're seeing a different culture, a different cultural story because of the color choices. Mm. If you pay attention to that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's very, like, Mexican. Um, actually, I might have misspoken earlier. I think it might actually be set in L.A., but it's, like, one of the Because uh, I think Mexican she wanted to head to New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At any rate, very cool. I'm glad that you ended up enjoying that as much as you did. My third favorite film from 2002 
is my last documentary from that year, which I think really helped push forward the popularization of the documentary for several years afterwards. It is Michael Moore's Bowling for Columbine, which I think, while Michael Moore can be a flawed documentarian, I think this may be his masterpiece. My only issue I have with the movie is really the final interview, which it just gets really uncomfortable. And I, it, I do kind of question what Michael expected out of that. Surely the interview subject could have behaved better because the, the degree of arrogance that the interview subject has is kind of galling. But uh, Michael Moore is best when he is exploring a subject, not going at it with an agenda, you know? And I think Bowling for Columbine is one of the best examples of that. He's trying to figure it out. He's trying, what we are doing still, unfortunately, 15 freaking years later, understand why our country is having this problem with mass shootings, okay? And what is it with other countries? Why don't they have this issue to our degree? And this is back in 2000. Freaking two, mm. so it's very troubling and and sad that we're still wrestling with this and still going in circles, but his film does it in a in a very interesting way, just kind of trying to feel it out and trying to make sense of it. And his his question, his thesis, I find to be very effective, is: Are we a nation of gun nuts or are we just nuts? Oh, I didn't know that that was... That's, yeah, that's uh, the uh, tagline, I think, of, even of the movie. Anyway, Bowling for Columbine is a great documentary. Do not be put off because it has Michael Moore <laughs> above the title. It's always good to expand your knowledge and right. exposure to different sources. Well, and different perspectives, too. If you're a conservative, if you're an NRA card holding you know guy who's got his own personal arsenal take a look at this open yourself up to what is being explored here so my number two is spirited away Mm. i have been dying to put this on my list any (laughs) list pick a list it might actually be on uh empowered women is this your favorite miyazaki film i believe so okay i need to have a marathon (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to get a marathon for like three years (laughs) we still haven't had it this was my first exposure to Miyazaki I think me too and the the reason I even it even occurred to me to get it and rent well I think I bought it was it had won the Oscar for best animated film Mm. and I had never seen anything like this film before it was my first exposure to this kind of illustration too Mm. Well, it's and this, it's still traditional hand drawn. Well, it's of a very but it's closer an anime. To, yeah, it's closer to anime than like it is. Yeah, traditional. Like if you're used to seeing Disney animation, right? And then you see something like right, it's Miyazaki. Japanese style. Yeah, yeah. And it was also my first exposure to this kind of storytelling mm. and this kind of folklore. Mm. You know, you get exposed to different kind of folklore in South Africa, but you don't see it in film format. Mm. 
this is a film about a family moving to a new place a new city a new school new mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. and the girl is 10 years old and that's kind of teetering on puberty coming in yeah, right. for girls right. and you know she's really she's just such a wimp she's like this little girl yeah. and she's whiny about it and her parents don't really have time for it. Mm-hmm. They're too distracted. Yeah. And what happens is she kind of stumbles into this different world. Yeah. And in this world, it's it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. It was really magical for me. Yeah. It's a world that's you know kind of ruled by gods, spirits. Yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, witches. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Just things that aren't mainstream. Sure. Yeah. And what's very interesting is it the story primarily happens at a bathhouse right. and it's where all the spirits and the witches and the gods come for rejuvenation yeah and yeah it's very cool the concept alone with that is like hey they need some time out too yeah <laughs> they need a steam asana and who she becomes she has to save her parents and who she becomes at the end of this film is a strong certain of herself everything is going to be okay i can i can deal with this which is what every girl wants if they're in that position to start with they want to become someone who is certain of themselves yeah i think she may be miyazaki's best female character Ooh, that's another list we could do (laughs) spirited way is my number two excellent my second favorite film of 2002 is actually Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. A film I haven't seen in a long time, but while I consider Lord of the Rings to be one long-ass epic (laughs) split into three segments, Mm. Two Towers is probably the most fun for me. First of all, it's hard to put yourself in this place, but back then, technologically, the visual effects, all the digital work that went into that film was revolution they created technology in order for some of these battle sequences to exist and that's that was really something the production design is extraordinary the makeup is extraordinary the uh, practical effects are extraordinary the characters the battle scenes the action choreography that there's also a lot of humor in the movie in the battle especially between the elf and the dwarf you know oh yes that's like the best part i think this is the (laughs) most exciting chapter of the lord of the rings film i i love it quite a bit so it's my second favorite film i i decided of 2002 lovely my number one is my big fat greek wedding is it really (laughs) i shouldn't be surprised you want a better chaser after watching the hours? It's my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> the hours ago, okay. <laughs> you scared after watching The Ring? Go watch my big fat Greek wedding. I love this film so freaking much. Mm. There are so many quotes that exist yeah. in not only my household with my husband, but also with my family back home in South Africa. And it's just, it's really pleasant. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. So I, I thoroughly enjoy this film for that. My favorite film of 2002, I decided, is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. What? Which is available on HBO. 
coming. Interesting because I think it was on the other end of your list uh, yes. from mine. Uh, why is this my sa- my favorite film? Well, first of all, it's my second favorite of the entire Harry Potter oh. series because. Well, first of all, when I first saw it, I was very skeptical of the whole Harry Potter thing. You know, I tend to be very skeptical of all the popular kids franchises and stuff. And But when I saw this, and you see a freaking giant monster impale your hero with a tooth, and this, the, the hero impale the monster in the head with a sword, this shit's gone to another level. And I was very impressed. I was like, holy God, really? And people were like, just wait. It gets darker. And I was like, hold on to my butt. Hold on here. But also, um, I also found as I went through the Harry Potter film series that the Chamber of Secrets is probably the most significant chapter of the entire series because it has the most things that get set up that pay off in the Deathly Hollows, which already established in past episodes my favorite of the series so uh, there's a lot of elements to chamber of secrets that i could really dive deep into that i love because of how well it pays off later and really sells this as one of the best fantasy series of all time harry potter the chamber of secrets was chris columbus's last entry it's his best film of the two that he directed and so it's my favorite film of 2002 but what is your favorite film of 2002 or for that matter what are your thoughts on black panther feel free to email us at the gibson review at gmail.com that's going to about do it for us in this episode shannon where can people find you on the internet you can find me with all the things at women's journey to empowerment with underscores between each word on Instagram, and it's the singular woman. And you can find me on www.shannapaxton.com, S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N. Excellent. Of course, you can go to the gibsonreview.com to find uh, various articles, past film faves articles, past episodes of The Movie Lovers, other lists as well. Go to the Gibson Review on Facebook, to find third-party links, uh, past episode links, by the way, and many reviews as well. Go to iTunes, if you haven't already, to find our episodes, and please feel free to leave a constructive review of our episodes. We appreciate that. And also, you can find me on Flickchart, the Gibson 99. I believe you can also find Logan on Flickchart, Logan 6, on, on there, too. So... Next time on The Movie Lovers, we are either going to have, as our main event... I don't even know what's happening. Yeah, because I just came up with this before we started recording. We'll either do a main review of Alex Garland's Annihilation. I'll note, uh, in a past episode, I mistook Alex Garland for for Andrew Nichol, who directed Gattaca. I'm not a fan of Andrew Nichol, and I thought that's who directed Annihilation. So Alex Garland directed um, Ex Machina, so I'm far more interested now in Annihilation. Oh, there we go. We'll either do a review of Annihilation or a review of A Wrinkle in Time. All depends on our turnaround time for our podcast. Maybe Logan will be featured there, too. But keep an eye out on March 13th 
for the next episode of The Movie Lovers. And you can always find updates on Facebook, too, um, what we decide to do. I believe our next film faves will be 2001, a very challenging year. We'll dive into that next time. Until then, this is Jeff and Shanna saying keep loving the movies. Bye-bye.